Let's read Mark chapter 1, starting verse 40. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the word of God from Mark chapter one. I was reminded this week of the just dynamic nature of scripture, the word of God, and of this story. Uh, this morning, we're going to see all these beautiful things about Jesus. We're going to see all these things about humanity. We're going to see all these things about us. And what I want to just say to, to us this morning is that when God stirs you, pay attention to what hits you. Like if a word or scripture uh, encourages you or moves you or conviction or convicts you, pay attention to that. I'm just reminded that this is not some game, that this is not some presentation, that we have come here as a people of God to, to hear from God and to be with God and to walk with God. And let's trust that, that he can speak into our lives, into our situations. And so let's not think, take it as a coincidence when, when a scripture speaks directly into our hearts. Let's pay attention to the things that grab us this morning. And so I want to just walk through this verse by verse and just continue to invite God to, to speak to us, to open our hearts, to give us faith. Starting verse 40, we're just going to walk through this verse by verse. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and he begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So if you were with us last week, Jesus is walking from village to village. And so if this is in our context, he's walking from Hendersonville to Bellevue to Mount Julie to Franklin. He's just kind of making his, his route all the way around Galilee, visiting all these different churches. And what he's doing is he's telling people about who God is and what God has come to do. And in the midst of him traveling from all these different cities, this man with leprosy comes and finds Jesus. Now, there's some real beautiful stuff going on here below the surface that I want us to see. Leprosy um, was this infectious, this incurable skin disease that literally would like make your skin rot and fall off your body. Painful. Maybe you've been to a leper colony. We were talking to Dahlia a couple years ago about leper colonies in India. It's like people still have this terrible disease. Maybe you've seen somebody or met someone on a trip that has this. What stood out to me this week as I was reading this was about how sad life was for people who had leprosy. And so not only was there this physical pain that you live with constantly of your skin falling off your bones, but there were all these social and spiritual implications. And so the spiritual implications were this. If you had leprosy, you were not allowed to go into the temple. The temple was the place that people encountered God, and so they didn't have the understanding that you could worship and connect and pray and be with God anywhere and everywhere. Their understanding was that you'd come to a place and God met you there. And so this was bad news. If you had leprosy, it meant that you were not allowed into the presence of God, but it wasn't just spiritual implications. There were all these social implications. So if you had leprosy, you literally had to live outside the town. You couldn't live in Nashville, live way outside the city, you had to live alone. And I learned this this week, it is so sad if anyone got within 50 steps of you, you'd have to yell, unclean, I'm unclean. Like, could you imagine? 
And I've read this story before, but I was thinking about, man, what life must have been like for this guy. I want you to think about this phase that you are in right now in life. No matter what your life looks like right now, if you have leprosy, everything about your life changes. So if you are in college, it means that you would draw from school. You're no longer a junior at Belmont. You move, out, you move out of the apartment, you move out of the dorm. All your friends are gonna go on to be seniors and graduate next May and not you. Life just stops for you. For some of you, it means that you have to leave your job, which might be a good thing for some of you. Hate your job, right? It means that it's like I think about Douglas, Vanessa, it's like you can't come home from work, play with your boys, can't hug them. Don't get to come home and see your spouse. You can't share chips at Chewy's with your friends on a Friday night. No more house church. No more coming here on Sundays. No more hanging out with your boyfriend on Valentine's Day. I go, these are all of the social implications, the way that this would affect your community, affect your life. But I was thinking, man, it goes beyond that. Think about how this would affect the way that you interact with people that you didn't even know. And I go, I bet most of us, we don't really care what strangers think about us. But if we were in their context, I think it would really change us. Can you imagine walking down 12 South, going to Edley's? Can you imagine walking down to Ugly Mugs in East Nashville? And whenever someone is in 50 steps of you, you had to say, stay away. I'm infectious. Stay away from me. Can you imagine the looks that you would get? The games that your mind would start to play? The things that you'd start to believe about yourself? I go, the loneliness, the humiliation, the fear that, what if this never goes away? What if this is how the rest of my life is spent? And I love what happens in Mark chapter one in this story because this man, he comes to Jesus and he falls on his knees and he begs him. And there are a couple things here that I want to see. I think this is so beautiful. He doesn't ask Jesus to be healed. I think this is very intentional. What is he asking for? Interact with me. What does he want? Say, to be cleansed. What this guy is after is more than healing. It's more than for the boils on his skin to go away. It's more than for the pain and the suffering to subside. That what this man wants is restoration. That he's tired of his, being li his life being isolated. He's tired of his life being marked with separation from God and people. He's tired of being known by what he has. He wants restoration. He wants life with God again. He wants to worship with the people of God and enjoy the presence of God. He wants the joy of community back in his life. And he realizes that Jesus alone is the one restoring. He comes to him and says, Jesus, you have the ability to cleanse me. You have the ability to restore me. And I'm so encouraged by this man's faith because he gets it right. I go, when you realize that you're distant from God, distant from the people of God, Jesus alone is the one to restore you. And he gets it right. The second thing that I want us to see in this text, though, is that although he has faith in Jesus, he only has half the truth about who Jesus is. He only has half the truth. And so he makes this statement. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
thought that was very interesting. So I was just thinking about those words this week. He shows great faith in Jesus' capability. He says, you can make me clean. But the part that comes to question is his character. This man trusts the capability of Jesus, but he doesn't trust his character. He says, if you're willing. Because I know you have the ability, but I don't know if you will. I don't know if you can. And notice how Jesus responds. I love this in verse 41. Jesus was indignant. Some of your translations say he was filled with compassion. Pretty big difference, right? In the original language, it's really complex. It's why our Bibles say different things. And from what I've seen this week as I've studied, I believe that indignation is a better translation here. And indignation just simply means anger. And we can sit down and talk if you have more questions about why I think that. I'll let Andrew hash those out with you. But I go, man, what is Jesus angry about? What we're going to see in the rest of the story is that he doesn't seem that to be angry that this man approaches him. It's not like uh, he's scared of being infected. Jesus isn't angry that this man has jeopardized Jesus' health. And I don't think that Jesus is angry that this specific man is unclear on his character. I think that Jesus is, is angry at something else, something bigger, something deeper. You know, I was thinking about this. Have you ever gotten into a fight with your parents or your roommates or your spouse and you thought that they were angry about one thing? Like you thought that they were upset about leaving dishes in the sink or not vacuuming or not picking up the kids from school or whatever it was when in fact there was something much deeper going on that was really angering them? I think that that's what's going on in this story. But there's something much deeper going on in Jesus' heart that he's angry at. And I think what he's angry at is, is Satan and sin and the brokenness of the world that it has so distorted and so deceived this man about who God is that he questions, is God even good? He starts to question, he starts to wonder if seeing a man made well and whole is something that God even cares about. This man, you see with leprosy, he knows Jesus' capabilities but he doesn't know his character. He knows his power, but he doesn't know him fully. And it's easy to criticize this guy. I go, but this isn't just true of him. It's true of us. That Satan and sin and the brokenness of this world drastically affects how we see God. Too often, those of us who are Christians, at best, we walk around with half-truths about who God is. I remember when I was working in campus ministry before I came full-time at Ethos, and I was talking to this guy and his girlfriend, and his faith was really on the rocks, and she wasn't a believer at all. And I remember having this conversation where they were saying, man, God is either good or he's powerful, but he's not both. And they were looking around the world at all the injustice and all the pain and all the suffering. They go, man, if he is good, why doesn't he do something about it? I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that, if you ever thought about that or had that conversation with yourself. Do we know the capabilities of God, but not his character? John chapter 11, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. I've learned so much about who God is through John chapter 11. There's this story where Jesus, one of his best friends, has just passed away, and Jesus shows up for the funeral service. 
And during the funeral service, he looks over and he sees this guy, Lazarus, his two sisters who are just weeping and mourning. Their hearts are just broken. You know what it feels like when you lose somebody you love. Jesus looks around in a crowd like this and he sees the community that is gathered because of Lazarus. And you know what it's like when you lose someone you love from your community. And it says Jesus, as he looks at the community, as he looks at these girls, it says that he is deeply moved and that Jesus weeps. And I love this story because it shows us what God does with us as we are confronted with pain in our world. He weeps with us in our pain. He weeps at what sin has done to this world. He weeps at the grip that Satan has on us. He weeps that we're so blinded to his character. You see, to Jesus, that we would even wonder that there would even be a question about the goodness and the kindness and the willingness to heal and the love that God has for us, that we would be unsure. It angers him, but he's not angry at us. He's angry at how deep sin has affected and deceived and infected us. Notice how Jesus responds in verse 42. He was indignant. Or in verse 41, sorry. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. That Jesus touched him. That Jesus touched him. There's so much power in Jesus, so much power in his actions. And I marvel at our king and his ways. Can you imagine what this would have been like for this man? For Jesus to know that this man had leprosy and that did not stop Jesus from touching him. I remember when we first started Ethos back in 2008, there was a guy coming to our church named Popcorn. Do any of you guys remember Popcorn? Were any of you guys at church? Popcorn, Dolly and Ty. You know, popcorn was just such a... Um, incredible part of our church and I remember after being a part of us for a little while he found out that he had HIV and he was so terrified that people would quit hugging him he was so terrified that he would show up to church and that people knowing what was going on in his body would keep them at arm's length would avoid him and in fact the exact opposite happened with popcorn that he'd walk into the cannery and people would line up to hug him just to show him. Actions speak much louder than words sometimes. And I love that Jesus touches him. It's like he's saying, I'm better to you. I care more about you than you can possibly even begin to imagine. There's so much to love about Jesus Christ. There's so much to love about Jesus touching this man's shoulder. I go, man, the creator of the universe who, who spoke the stars and the moon into existence, the, the God who's giving us air to breathe, the one who's keeping our hearts beating in perfect rhythm, the God who sustains and creates the bigness of our God. He could have just spoken and healed this man, but he doesn't speak. He touches him. He put his hand on the shoulder of this guy that hadn't felt human touch in who knows how long. There's so much to love about Jesus. 
There's so much beauty in Jesus not being repelled by him, not standing far off. And I think in this story, man, there is so much going on here just in the cleansing and the healing, but there's, there's something deeper going on. There's this deeper truth being given to us about who God is that kind of lies below the surface of this text. And I think it's this. And no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run, no matter how long you've been gone, Jesus is not repelled by you. And the things that you've done, they are not strong enough to keep him away from you. And he longs for us to come to him, to know him, to know his capabilities, to know his character, and to let him in to restore all that is broken in us. Do you come here this morning confused about the character of God? Do you come here as someone whose sin, whose past has come to identify you? That at your school or at your work, you're no longer known for your name, but you're known for what you've done? Do you come as someone who's been separated from God for a really long time? someone who's been separated from his people for far too long? Do you come here this morning as someone who longs to be restored? Do you come here this morning wanting God but not sure that God would want you? And Jesus in Mark chapter one is wanting us to see his power to change us. He's wanting us to see the deep love that he has for us, his deep willingness to step in, to come close. I was reminded this week of the realness and the beauty of, and our need for the cross of Jesus Christ. Our need for the cross and all that he accomplished there and all that the cross speaks to us. I'm convinced that as Christians, that as followers of Jesus, we don't think about the cross and talk about the cross and set our minds on the cross nearly enough. And I don't say that to shame us. But there's something beautiful and powerful that happens when we take our minds back to what happened on the cross of Calvary. Is where we, see, where we see the most clear and beautiful picture of our God. It's where Christ was stretched out and he says, this is a place that I will restore you to God. This is a place that I restore you to each other. This is a place that I die for you and cover all your sins. You see, Jesus in Mark chapter one didn't send this man away because Jesus is a nice guy. He sent this man away cleansed because he was willing to take his spot, pay the price for his life. You see, it's so much more than, than Jesus dealing with the leprosy. It's about Jesus dealing with the fall of mankind from God that resulted in the leprosy. You see, you go back and you read the first two chapters in the Bible, Genesis chapter one and chapter two, and when God created, there was no sickness, there was no suffering, there was no pain, there was no divorce, there was no miscarriage, there was no heartache, there was no struggle. And when sin entered the world, so followed pain and suffering and disease and sickness 
And God looks at this man with leprosy. He says, let me deal with the brokenness in your life that extends way deeper than just what's happening on the surface. Jesus says, let me get at the core of the problem to restore what's been broken in you. His words to the man, be clean, are beautiful. It's like Jesus is saying to this man, thank you for trusting me with, you, with this separation issue. Be clean. Thank you for having the courage to come to me. Thank you for having the faith to know that I'm the one that can do it. Now be clean. Spend the rest of your life in the joy of God, in the purposes of God, in the love of God, in the healing of God. Be clean. About a month ago, I was on Instagram on Friday night. My wife and I were sitting in our living room in front of the fire, and I pulled up Instagram, and I was just kind of scrolling through the pictures, and I saw uh, one of my friends that I was in school with, and she had taken a picture and put a little caption underneath it, and the picture was of her apartment, and she was taking a picture of her voodoo doll that was on the wall. She said, this is, in the caption, essentially, this is first night being alone in my apartment, and I noticed as I was reading that, that I looked up at her name and she had changed her name back from her wedded name back to her maiden name. And I realized, oh man, marriage is broken. It's over. Talking to court and this friend of mine, man, she, she doesn't know God. She's not a believer. In fact, she's been really outspoken about her beliefs in who God is. And I was just sitting there thinking about it. I personally know what it's like to feel the effects of divorce. And I was thinking about what she was going through. I haven't been divorced, but I felt it with my parents. And uh, thinking about all the pain that she was feeling. Started thinking about the, that she has no one to turn to in these moments. No God to lean on. No hope. And I started weeping. <laughs> And I was led by the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you know what this is like. And that we have the Spirit of God, the presence of God that leads us and guides us and speaks to us. And if you don't know about the Holy Spirit, go back and listen to the podcast from the fall. We spent a whole 13 weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit this night, on the Friday night, was, was leading me to pray for my friend. And so I, I do what I so often do when I need to be reminded of the bigness and the power of God. I went to my kitchen and there's this big glass door. It lets me see the sky. And so I was looking at the stars and the moon. And I was reminded of the bigness and the grandness and the power of God. And I just started praying. And it was so crazy that God was giving me words to pray. The Holy Spirit was giving me things to pray for. And so as I was praying, I just started praying to this. God, tonight would you protect her from Satan? Tonight as she's spending her first night alone, God, would you draw her closer to your heart? God, would you help her to see that she's not run too far or been gone too long or have done too much to outrun your grace and your forgiveness? God, would you, would you pull her back to you? Would you soften her heart? Would you help her to quit running? Would you help her to turn back to you? And what was amazing is that I was praying, is that I realized that I was praying these things not because I'm such a good person, not because I care so much. It's because our God is so incredibly good and he was allowing me to experience his heart for people who are far from him. 
And I go, this is how our God responds. This is what God does. And he longs to restore us. He longs to cleanse us. To heal all that's been broken in us. Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come. I'll give you rest. Come. I'll give you rest. Come. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my teachings upon you. Become a follower of Jesus. Learn from me. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus says, come. And this is his character. This is who Jesus Christ is. Look at verse 43. And Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. I hate that this is true of me, but I relate to this man. Do you see the duplicitous nature of his heart? That in one moment, he has this amazing faith, this amazing desperation, this amazing understanding of who Jesus is, and then shortly after, he walks in blatant disobedience. I go, this is us, isn't it? His life was marked by total dependence on God. And then when he got what he wanted, it was marked by independence. What we see about this man is that he wanted Jesus to liberate him, not to lead him. He wanted Jesus to liberate him, not lead him. And this is me, this is us. We come to Jesus wanting to be free from a multitude of things, don't we? Maybe those of us who are Christians, man, like, think about the things that he's freed us from. Physical healing. A particular sin that gripped us for a long time in our lives. We, want, we come to Jesus wanting to be freed from our past. And when Jesus does what only he can do, how often do we forget that God, who has done for us what no one else was willing to do by dying to forgive us and, sa and save us, how often and how easily we forget his character. And so when we get what we want from God, we start to question. When faced with temptation and decisions and his commands. Is that what God really wants? He didn't really mean don't sleep with my girlfriend. He didn't really mean die to myself and follow him. He didn't really mean take care of the orphans, be kind to the poor, be generous towards God. He didn't really mean forgive someone unendless amounts. I go, when we get from God what we want, do we forget his commands? Look at the second verse, or second sentence of verse 45. It says, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places. 
And I want us to see this because as a community, we, we have to see this because this is in, in the scriptures, it's true. This guy's disobedience hindered the work of Jesus. It didn't thwart the work of Jesus, but it hindered it. Even though in theory it was a good thing what he was doing, he was telling people about Jesus. Even though it was a good thing, it wasn't God's thing. It wasn't Jesus' command. I go, I wonder if we view the commands of God like this. In our walking with Jesus, do we treat his commands as suggestions? As options? Do we view them communally? Do we ever think about what our disobedience does to our community? Do we ever have the insight to to understand that maybe our our disobedience doesn't just affect us, it affects our families and our house churches and our parents and our church and our city and our bosses? You know, walking in obedience is incredibly joyful. Walking in obedience to Jesus is incredibly good. But it's also hard. Because it means that we have to say, Jesus, you know better than me. You're wiser. You know what it looks like to live the good life. I trust you. And there's something about the core of who we are that just is at war with that. We don't trust that he knows what's best for us. We don't trust that he's going to take care of us. We don't trust, we don't trust, we don't trust. So we walk in disobedience. All the ways of God that are hindered because of our disobedience. But I want you to think about this. Look at the very last verse in Mark chapter 1. What does it say? Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is who our God is. That even in our disobedience, he's still a sovereign. Take comfort in who our God is that you and I are not powerful enough to stop the work of God. Take comfort. I was thinking about how it's so easy to look back and to see all the times that we've failed and maybe even see the ways that our disobedience has hindered his mission in our friends or in our families. I got a letter from a lady this week and she was talking about how she grew up a follower of Jesus and then she went through a long, just a long time of rebellion against God and because of her rebellion, all three of her kids now who are grown want nothing to do with God. Some of you, that's your story. Some of you, that was your parents. Take comfort. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. What do we do with this Jesus? What do we do with this grace? Where do you find yourself in this story this morning? Are you exhausted? Are you lonely? Are you distant from God? Are you hiding from people and isolated? Are you confused about the nature of God? Are you tired of being known for what you've done? Do you want to know Jesus, his capabilities, and his character? If so, Mark chapter 1 is an incredible invitation to come to Jesus. 
to have the courage to come to him. Have the trust, understanding his character. That he got on the cross, that he died to forgive you. And that he will use you for, your, for his glory. Here in just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to respond. We're going to sing. We're going to make much of Jesus for who he is and what he's done. Some of you, you look at your life and go, man, I, I want to I know Jesus. And some of you, you've been, you've been sniffing around. You've been reading and praying. You go, man, I'm ready to make Jesus mine. I'm ready to follow. And if this is you, man, we'd love to help any way we can. There are going to be some men and women at the respond banner in just a minute. And if, if you want to talk about taking the next step in your faith, if you just want someone to pray for you, if you're confused about the character of God, if you've had a rough week or a rough month or a, a, a rough year, and you just want someone to put your, their hand on your shoulder and pray for you, go to the respond banner. That's what we're here for. If you look at your life and you go, man, I, I'm curious about Jesus. And what I really want is just to sit down and, and to talk to another believer. I don't know anyone. I don't know what faith looks like. I go, man, if, if you want someone to get with you sometime this week, come and find me. There are thousands of people. That's not an exaggeration. Thousands of people in our church that would love to take you out for coffee. Pray for you. Walk with you through your questions. For some of you, it's coming to Jesus. For some, it's having the courage for the first time just to pray. We're going to take communion here in just a minute, and I just encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, just to, to close your eyes and to bow your head and just to say, God, I want to come to you. I want to know you. Help me. God, I want to know you. I want to come to you. Help me. And see what happens. See the way that he answers. See the way that he shows up in your life. Some of you who have been following Jesus, who have been changed by Jesus, my question for, for us this morning is, is your life marked with an eager obedience to Jesus and his commands? Is your life marked with an eager obedience to Jesus and his commands? You know, I remember when I started in campus ministry before I came to Ethos, I was so passionate, so zealous about my job, so like, uh, I so wanted to please my boss. Because I remember there'd be so many times we'd be sitting in his office on Monday morning and he'd be telling me things that he needed me to do that week. And before he could even get done telling me, I'd be out the door, like executing, not people, but his list. And <laughs> that'd be a fun job, right? Uh, not really, sorry. And, uh, and I remember, like, just in that faith of life, because he'd give me the opportunity to work for him, I was going to do everything I could to, like, please him. You know, that's so true for us in our faith, that when Jesus comes in and he, like, he restores us and he heals us and he puts us back in the right place with God and with each other, that, like, we're so passionate about walking in obedience and serving him. But there's something that happens over time. Maybe it's laziness or selfishness or sin or whatever it is. You just become entitled. I don't know. Uh, Allow Mark chapter 1, allow the Holy Spirit to realign your heart. Remember Jesus. As you break the bread, you drink the cup, remember his character. Think about what he's freed you from. Think about all the ways that he's restored you. And as you take communion, I want you to think about this. Do you still believe in his ability to liberate? 
Because if you do, let it affect the way that you live this week. You're going to face all different people in all different situations going through things, and Jesus Christ is the solution. Is your life marked with an eager obedience to Jesus and his commands? Where do you find yourself in this story? Let's pray.